0: Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. You know, it's always interesting to me how many of our, uh, I mean, I think we can say universally recognized holidays are based on Roman Catholic saints. St. Patrick's Day, you know, that's the day everybody wears green. Major cities celebrate by dyeing their rivers green. A lot of alcohol is consumed in honor of the Catholic missionary who brought Christianity to Ireland. Some of our extra-biblical celebrations of Christmas center around the legends of St. Nicholas. Long before he was associated with elves and reindeer in the North Pole, however, he was known as as a feisty Turkish bishop, with a temper. One of the legends surrounding Saint Nicholas involved him slapping a heretic with a sandal at the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. So, so parents, if you want to uh, spice up your Christmas celebration, tell the kids that Santa may come with a sandal in the, uh, uh, and wake them up in the middle of the night. Halloween is closely tied to All Saints Day, a day when all the saints are celebrated who don't have an individual feast day. It's kind of like a catch-all holiday. And and then, of course, we have today, the day we know as Valentine's Day, often uh, called a made-up holiday by men who are irritated that they're about to have to spend $100 on dead flowers in a throwaway vase. Formerly, however, it's known as the Feast of St. Valentine as protestants we may find ourselves somewhat uncomfortable with all of the catholicism in our holidays but but don't forget that up until about 500 years ago all we had was catholicism so it's not like i mean that, that this is a fairly new development in the course of human history that we're we're not catholic um And like most of the holidays, we feel the need to kind of spice them up from the original one. We've taken the feast of St. Valentine's, and we've decorated it with roses and chocolate and little baby angel archers with hearts for arrowheads. However, St. Valentine was very much a real man with a real story of courage. He's somebody that we should all know about, and, and I think his story actually commands our respect He lived during the reign of the Roman Emperor Claudius. Emperor Claudius was a vicious persecutor of the church, but he also enacted a policy banning marriage. He believed that unmarried men would make better soldiers than married men because those men on the front lines wouldn't be worried about laying their life down in the event that uh, they were uh, called to because they had no family at home to worry about. St. Valentine, however, stood up to Claudius' edict and he performed secret marriage ceremonies. It makes me wonder how long before the church today has to perform secret marriage ceremonies that are honoring to the Lord. Valentine eventually was caught, imprisoned. He was tortured for performing these marriage ceremonies against Claudius' edict. There are legends surrounding Valentine's actions while he was in prison. One of the men who was to judge him in line with the Roman law at the time was a man called Asterius, whose daughter was blind. He was supposed to have prayed with and healed that young girl with such astonishing effect that Asterius himself became a Christian as a result. In the year 269 AD, Valentine was sentenced to a three part execution. I didn't know you could be executed three times, but he was. He was killed by beating stoning, and finally decapitation, all because he stood up for Christian marriage. The story goes that the last words he wrote were in a note to Asterius's daughter. He inspired today's romantic missives by signing it, from your valentine. So when you fill out that card and hand off to your sweetie, you are uh, joining yourself with someone from many, many, many millennia, uh, or many centuries ago. So, If you choose to take your Valentine out for a romantic dinner for two at Sonic this evening, or maybe you grab takeout and bring it home, don't forget the guy who inspired the day, whether it's a fake holiday or not. As we continue in Proverbs today, we do recognize that the book of Proverbs is filled with words of wisdom that pertain to love and marriage and and healthy relationships. Uh, of course, Solomon kept his most intimate thoughts about the subject reserved for the Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. Uh, I mean, who could ever forget some of the romantic words contained in the Song of Solomon? Gentlemen, you may want to take note. If you were trying to woo your sweetie today, you can always try some of these, some of these uh, romantic words. Sol- Song of Solomon 1.9, uh, I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. What do you look like a horse? <laughs> I love this one. This is so romantic. Song of Solomon 4:1. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. I like this one. This one's a good one. Song of Solomon 6:2. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes that have come up from the washing. All of them bear twins. <laughs> this is this is not one of them has lost its young. Sweetie, you got all your teeth. You will win her heart. If she doesn't have all her teeth, I would recommend you not trying that. <laughs> Maybe you should just stick with Song of Solomon chapter four, verse seven. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Stick with that one, and that one, will, that, one will, that one will take you far if you compare her teeth to sheep, her hair to goats, or her face to a horse, though I'm not promising you you're going to get uh, get a whole lot of love on this Valentine's Day. So in the spirit of the day, I want us to consider just one verse from book, the book of Proverbs. This may be one of the most romantic passages in the Bible, if not the most romantic passage in the Bible. It's Proverbs 21, verse 9, and it says this, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, we're going we're to go to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4, and see where that gets us today. Hopefully it will keep us out of trouble. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4, I'm not going to ask you to stand. It's a short verse, but it simply says this, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for the wisdom of Solomon, even though his life was not always a reflection of the wisdom that he knew to be true. We certainly know that, that he recognized a thing or two about uh, love and marriage and, and, and romance and intimacy, and so it is good for us to take time to consider his words and And even though our our civilization today may not appreciate the poetry that are contained therein, Lord, it is good to reflect on and consider what wisdom has to teach us about the ways of, of love and romance and romantic things, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, we have talked about from the beginning of this study that wisdom is both a doorway and a pathway. And we've said all along this that, that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. However, wisdom is something that is also developed as we seek the Lord. So we begin this pathway of wisdom by fearing God, and then we develop it as we walk with the Lord. It's also developed as we ask for it. In James chapter 1, verse 5, for example, it tells us that we should ask for wisdom if we feel we lack wisdom. So if you find yourself in a position where you don't know the answer and, and you don't know where to go and you don't know what to do and you lack wisdom, the Bible says you should ask for it and God will grant it. You know, Much of the book of Proverbs is, is about how we develop wisdom along the pathway of our walk with the Lord. We see very practical insights from, from people who, who gained a lot of wisdom over the course of their lives. So, so this section of Proverbs that we've jumped to here in chapter 12 is, is filled with actual Proverbs. Short, memorable statements of wisdom. It's not the law, but it is good counsel from the Lord for how you need to think about your day-to-day life. And this verse that I've referenced here, it ends up being one of many that are scattered throughout the book that gives us a bigger picture of how divine wisdom touches every single aspect of our lives. You know, the book of Proverbs is concerned with many aspects of our life, how, how hard we work. The book of Proverbs is concerned about laziness and, and, and uh, the importance of hard work. It's concerned with how fairly we treat, treat others, both in uh, peer relationships and how businesses treat one another. Proverbs is concerned with how we raise our children. And so it ought not to surprise us that, that the wisdom of Proverbs has something to say to us about the marriage relationship as well both the healthy ones and the not-so-healthy ones. And we begin in this, with this phrase It says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Now, it's easy to read this and get lost in, in the weeds here. But it's important that we stay on track and we understand the intention that is meant here in this phrase. Ladies, I think that, that, I, I think that if, if you see that word excellent, it probably feels like an unreachable goal. Excellence? Uh, you know, what does it mean to be an excellent wife? Now, I know that I have an excellent wife, but I know that if she were to stand in front of you, that she would say that she doesn't always feel like she's excellent. And I suspect that, if, that most women in the room would say, you know, I don't always feel like I'm excellent. It doesn't matter if my husband thinks I am or not. I don't often feel excellent. You try, but excellence? That's a, that's a tall order. You know, there are days that, that you would agree that mediocre is as good as it gets. The, the kids are off the wall. The house is a mess. Dinner's a flop. You top that off with a bad day at work, You ever felt like that all you really want to do is go hide in a quiet place to finish up the day? Let me encourage you with something, however. Excellence is not about whether or not you're able to check off all the boxes of what makes a good wife. This is one of these places where the original language really helps us because it's the context that very much changes the intent of the word. For example, if if we're using the word excellent here and we're talking about an army or a soldier, that word would be talking about valor or strength. However, in the context of marriage, that word is actually talking very much about dignity and worth. So listen to this. A woman's dignity and worth is not defined by her ability, but by her identity. A woman's dignity and worth is not defined by her ability, but by her identity. It it might actually help if we keep in mind that the word excellent that's used here in Proverbs chapter 12 is is actually translated in some other versions as being virtuous or being a wife of, of noble character. And so ladies, you you need to remember this. Your virtue or your excellence is not defined by who you are in the kitchen, but by who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of voices out there that, that say you've got to be this or you've got to be that. And what the Bible says is you've got to be in Christ first and foremost. You've got to be in Christ first and foremost. There are days where you may feel like a failure as a mother, a failure in your career, a failure as a wife, but if you are in Christ, listen to me ladies, you are royalty. As a child of the king, makes you a princess of the kingdom. And the woman who knows she's in Christ, who is confident in her identity as a kingdom princess. Proverbs says that she is a crown to her husband. And so it's not about how excellent of a mother she is, or how excellent of a cook she is, or how excellent of a housekeeper she is, or how excellent of any of those things. Fill in the blanks. What matters is how how much she loves the Lord and how faithfully she walks with the Lord. And if there is excellence in that, if there is virtue in that, then she is a crown to her husband. Well, what does that mean? To be a crown? What in the world? Well, we know a crown is a symbol of royalty. I don't see anybody wearing a crown today in church, so I guess that means that we don't have any, any official royalty in our midst. I don't own a crown. As a matter of fact, the closest I've ever gotten to a crown were the cardboard ones that you got from Burger King when you were a kid. I don't even know anybody who owns a real crown. And I'm not talking about the little costume tiaras that little girls sometimes wear. However, the Bible says that a husband with an excellent wife has a crown. What, what's it actually saying? You know, I would think that if, if I were a king... That my crown would be the most important part of my attire. I would likely treat that crown with particular care. The crown that Queen Elizabeth wore at her coronation, back when she, when she was 25 years old, that crown has been valued at around four and a half million dollars sitting on her head. I don't, I mean, the, the most expensive ball cap I've got is probably not more than 20 bucks. Four and a half million dollars sitting on top of her head. I'm going to say, if I had a, if I had something on my head that was worth four and a half million dollars, uh, you know, I'd I'd treat that with some with some special TLC. You don't just take that and and throw it on your head to go mow the grass, right? I mean, you're going to treat that thing right. So the Bible here says that that an excellent wife is a a crown. If my wife is to be my crown, then there are some expectations contained herein that I need to address. Firstly, I should treat the crown with with respect. If you met the Queen of England, you're not a British subject, I'm, I'm not a British subject, but if I were to be invited to meet the Queen of England, I would expect that I would show a certain level of respect that would that warrants the position that she's in. I wouldn't just go in and, you know, and, and hey, what's up, lady? How you doing? I mean, I wouldn't go in like that. I'd go in with, with. I mean, I'd be on my, I mean, my best Georgia manners would be in place. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, right? I mean, any of us would be because that that's a position that commands respect. If you were a missionary going to meet an unreached tribe and you were introduced to the chief of the tribe You would show utmost respect to that person because of the position that they're in. They're they're the monarch of their tribe, so to speak. So the wisdom contained herein speaks volumes to us today. Husbands should treat their wives with respect. And don't worry, men. The Bible teaches this as a reciprocal relationship, that wives ought to respect their husbands as well. So I should treat the crown with respect. I should also understand the crown's worth. It is a precious thing. The Bible actually says this in Proverbs 18, 22, It says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. It's not replaceable, it's not disposable, it is something that is very precious that should be treated as such. And thirdly, I should respect the crown's impact on my life. You know, when someone is crowned as a monarch, that represents a significant change in station, you know, you don't go from being uh, not a king to becoming a king and not expect there to be a bump in, in your pay grade, right? I mean, there's a change there. Um, men, you need to value and appreciate how your wife enriches you and completes you. According to 1 Corinthians seven fourteen. even for a man who is an unbeliever, a virtuous wife represents the best potential for his conversion. All this to say Men, do you treat your wife like the crown that the Bible says she is? But there's a warning here. The excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but there's a warning here to beware of rotten bones. This is the flip side. You see, for the virtuous wife, there are obvious blessings and benefits that represent a marriage that is centered on Christ and, and seeks to honor Christ in all. I think we can all think of of married couples in our life where where husband and wife honor Christ and their marriage is a reflection of the the Christ-honoring relationships that both man and wife have, And, and it's an admirable, almost enviable relationship that they often have there. But Solomon here warns us about bone rot, which is caused by the wife who brings shame. Well, what are we talking about here? So obviously, if the excellent wife is one who has character that is defined by her identity as one who fears the Lord, as Christians we understand this to mean that she's in a right relationship with Christ, the one who brings shame is one who is looking for her identity in some places other than the Lord. Back in Proverbs chapter 11 verse 22, we see this warning, like a gold ring in a pig's snout, is a beautiful woman without discretion. You see here, the warning is about a woman who's looking for her identity in her beauty. You've heard the analogy about putting lipstick on a pig. This is where that analogy sort of comes from. Uh, I mean, uh, there's nothing wrong with a woman that wants to take care of herself. This isn't that kind of prohibition. It's a warning against prioritizing beauty over character. Men, you need to instill this in your little girl's that her character matters far more than her external appearance. But again, that's not the only place where this happens. And let's be clear, this isn't just a problem for women. Men, we are just as prone to bring shame into our marriage when we're looking for identity somewhere other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And men, we're prone to do this as well. We allow our careers and our hobbies to define us. If we allow that to happen, then we're always going to miss God's greater purpose for our life. God's purpose for you is not first and foremost that you be a career man, that you be a company man, that you be loyal to your business. God's purpose for you first and foremost is just like for the ladies to recognize that they are princesses of the king, that men, you would recognize that you are a prince of the king of kings, and everything else falls subservient to that. You see, when our identity is defined by something other than Lord Jesus Christ, it's just a matter of time before we are guilty of bringing shame. Well, what are the consequences? Well, here Solomon says in the Proverbs that, that the consequences of this behavior is this catastrophic ailment known as bone rot. Now, I've never Experienced a rotten bone before, but you have to understand that that the rotten rottening of a bone, the decaying of a bone, represents the decay of the framework of the body. On Wednesday night in our adult Bible study, we, we heard about the story of Jessica Long. She's the young lady that was featured in Toyota's Super Bowl ad. She's a phenomenal athlete, but she's missing the lower half of both of her legs. She was born with a condition where she had no bones in her lower legs, which made it impossible for her to walk. She was adopted and within weeks after finalizing the adoption, her parents had to make the difficult decision to amputate her legs so that she could learn to walk because she couldn't stand up otherwise. So we understand how essential bones are for the proper functioning of the body. They provide the structure. Break a leg, you can't walk. Break your dominant arm, and there's going to be a lot of things, a lot of basic tasks that you can't accomplish. For some older folks, a broken hip can almost be a terminal situation. You see, wisdom warns us here that shame in a relationship, the opposite of virtue, it destroys the framework of that relationship, and it can be catastrophic, and it can be an irreversible condition. So there's a very real warning for both husbands and wives. Stop looking for your value and your worth in something other than Christ. Stop bringing shame by valuing beauty over character, by honoring career over Christ. Stop bringing shame by listening to your own heart without listening to the Lord. You know, as we consider the significance of these words. If you go back just a little bit there to verse 3, it says, no one is established by wickedness. No one is established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will never be moved. You know, it's interesting as you consider, oftentimes these Proverbs feel like there's no context that's there, but this is one of these places where we can actually draw some parallels between these two different places. So we understand that, that in this condition of wickedness that no one is going to be established. You see, we want to bring in our our failures, our flaws, our wicked behaviors. We want to bring these into the context of a relationship, and we have to recognize that it's always going to come up short. We're never going to experience God's blessings when we enter into these relationships with a foundation of wickedness. But here again it says the root of the righteous will never be moved. If we want to have this kind of relationship where where the excellent wife is the crown of the husband, then we have to understand the righteous route has to be established and has to be built. Proverbs chapter 13:10 provides a little bit of encouragement however because we understand that there's a lot of places there's a lot of situations where marriages have failed as a consequence of this behavior and there's many more that are in the process of failing. Listen to Proverbs chapter 13 verse 10. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. You know the assumption built in here is that is that insolence, also known as pride, it is the primary source of strife and conflict. And that's not incorrect. I think we can find that all of our conflicts at some level can be traced back to pride. But it's the second part of the verse that matters for those who are dealing with the shame that often comes in this this kind of relationship that's got flaws. And the the wisdom here is this, don't deal with it alone. Seek counsel. Most importantly, seek godly counsel. You remember the book of Job? Job had a absolute catastrophe that resulted in tremendous grief. I can't imagine the grief that Job must have experienced when everything that he loved and everything that he held dear was taken away from him. I think that what we saw in the book of Job is what would happen with any of us. If any of us had that level of catastrophe take place, we'd likely find there's people around us. There's people who would rally around us and want to talk to us and want to be there with us. And and Job's friends, they, they seem like the kind of guys that you want to have around you. Your lowest of lows, you got three guys that come and sit down with you and just hang out. But then they start talking. And they begin to show themselves not to be the wise friends that they need to be. And they end up giving Job advice that was absolutely terrible counsel. They got it completely wrong, and it caused Job a tremendous amount of heartache. But you see, when your marriage in your home is dealing with shame and pain and trouble, the book of Proverbs here counsels us. We need to seek out wise biblical counsel. If you're a woman who's thinking about divorce, you need to seek out godly counsel. Not spend all your time with women who hate their ex-husbands. It's not a place you want to go and, and get marriage counseling for people in that situation. If you're a man who's struggling, don't walk through the struggles alone. Do it with godly counsel. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20 says this, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. You know, because of so much that goes wrong in our marriages and our homes, because so much of it involves shame, we're often prone to, by our pride, keep it to ourselves. But that doesn't mean that we should. We don't have to hurt alone. We don't have to suffer in silence. And honestly, we may be missing some things if we don't seek out the wisdom of trusted friends and advisors who love the Lord more than they love you. Did you catch that? The friends that you want to talk to are the friends who love Jesus more than they love you. Those are the best friends in the world because those are the friends who aren't going to steer you wrong or lead you astray because they care more about Jesus and his principles and his word than they care about our, heart, our hurts, and our feelings. So again, strive to be that household that is rooted in righteousness Strive to be that wife who is, who is excellent, not because of her abilities, but because of her identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Strive to be that husband who is excellent. Here the Bible's talking to wives, but the principles are easily flipped here, where men strive for excellence, not in your handiwork, not in the things that you do, not in your ability to, to check off things on the honeydew list, although you certainly should check off things off the honeydew list, but strive for excellence. And your identity in Christ. And if you do, you'll have a home that's rooted in righteousness that can never be moved. You see, it's not a stretch for us to connect all of these dots and recognize the warning that's here for us. And again, this warning that's been consistent comes down to wisdom versus folly. Do you follow a pathway of wisdom? that leads you into righteousness, that leads you into a place of goodness, that we might even say leads you into a place of excellence? Or do you follow the pathway of folly in your home, in your marriage, in your life? Because the fact of the matter is, if you continue down the pathway of folly, then you have to recognize the consequences. Would you pray with me, please? God, thank you for your words Thank you for how they speak to our current situations Lord we understand that we live in a day and time where well, sadly we, we know even even here gathered that there's many marriages that uh, that have failed many that are that are struggling right now Lord thank you that we don't have to go through these things alone we don't have to face the difficulties of, of of these, these mistakes and this, this, this we have a sense of failure that goes along with it, Lord. We don't have to do that by ourselves. There's wise counsel gathered together in the body of Christ. There's, there's men and women who are gifted with, with wisdom who are able to help us work through these situations that we can learn from them, that we can grow from them. Uh, even, even Solomon, in the mistakes that he made, was able to come to the end of his life and realize his mistakes and understand that it really all boils down to uh, fearing the Lord and keeping his commandments. Lord, I, I pray that for those who are married or those who are pursuing marriage, that they would strive to be excellent, but they would do it not by their own might because it will, it will fail, but that they would strive for excellence through their identity in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would strive to have households and families that are hallmarked, by husbands who seek their complete and total identity in the Lord, and wives who do likewise. And to see that work itself out in marriage is a beautiful thing. May we be faithful to do that. And may we strive to be a crown on our spouse's head. God, again, we're grateful for your goodness and thank you for the wisdom that you've provided to us. Help us to faithfully follow that wisdom and avoid the pathway of folly thanks for listening if you would like more information about chattanooga valley baptist check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org if you would like to join in person we worship every sunday morning at ten we're just minutes from downtown chattanooga we hope to see you soon